Have you ever felt a twinge of worry about AI taking over your job or diluting your creativity? Well, what if you could turn that fear into creative fuel? We've just published an amazing new ebook called The Four Keys to Success in an AI World. And this is more than just a guide. It's a deep exploration into the human skills that AI can't touch. The skills that are essential for standing out and thriving, no matter how much technology evolved. We're talking about real differentiators here, like creativity, emotional intelligence, critical thinking, and much more. Inside, you'll find actionable insights and strategies to develop these skills, whether you're a creative person, a business person, or just simply someone who loves personal development. This isn't a story about tech taking over. It's a story of human creativity thriving alongside AI. Picture this, AI as your creative co-pilot, not just as a tool, but a collaborator that enhances your unique human skills. The Four Keys ebook will show you exactly how to do that and view AI in a new way that empowers you instead of overshadows you. Transform your creative potential today. Head over to unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys. Use the number four, K-E-Y-S. That's unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys and download your free copy. When I had my son, um, I, I had six seizures in one week, uh, about five weeks after he was born. And that was really a rock bottom for me because I thought, you know, I just, I can't live this way anymore. And a lot of this is being like, most of the, the health situation was being just sort of swept under the rug. It actually wasn't public. A uh, very, very small group of people on the executive team knew about it, but even my highest direct reports didn't know about it. Um, and it was something that was kind of behind this curtain, right? And for me, it was as if I lived two different lives, right? And I, I was actually feeling like I was starting to live this lie and I, I couldn't do it anymore. And I literally was starting to, you know, fall, it felt like I was imploding, right? Um, and they were telling me, you know, you're putting your life on, on the line here. And now I have a newborn that I'm incapable of taking care of and this huge impact in the world that I have been, you know, making and out to make, I'm, you know, at this rate, going to be incapable of making if this continues. And, you know, after that happened for me, it was such a wake up call that, you know, it was really about how do I how do I start to make conscious choices and decisions about who I am as a leader and what is success really about? I'm Srini Rao, and this is the Unmistakable Creative Podcast, where you get a window into the stories and insights of the most innovative and creative minds who've started movements, built thriving businesses, written best-selling books, and created insanely interesting art. For more, check out our 500-episode archive at unmistakablecreative.com. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems, too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and, of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable, too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. 
There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. As creators, we're always on the move. Whether it's a live podcast event, a pop-up shop, or a workshop, we're constantly interacting with community, and that's where Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe comes in. Imagine this, you're at a live event, a listener loves your merch, or a participant wants to sign up for your course on the spot. With Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, you can accept their payments right there and then, right from your iPhone so there's no extra hardware or no delays. Total game changer. It's not just for creators. Any business owner can do this. It's about making transactions smoother and much more personal, growing your business in your way. We've been using Stripe for our products and courses for a long time, and now with Tap to Pay on iPhone, you can take your business to the next level too. So visit stripe.com slash tap iPhone to learn more. Remember folks, with tap to pay on iPhone and Stripe, your business is always at your fingertips. Sarah, welcome to the Unmistakable Creative. Thanks so much for taking the time to join us. Hi, it's wonderful to be here. Yeah. So, you know, I was introduced to you by way of our mutual friend, Selena Sue, and uh, it's been kind of mind blowing how many amazing people that she has sent us over the last couple of months. So I want to start by asking you, um, what did your parents do for a living and what impact did that end up having on the choices that you've made with your life and your career? Yeah, absolutely. So my parents, gosh, I'm so grateful for them. They um, are I like to say serial entrepreneurs. So I grew up in a family where I had entrepreneurs all around me. And, and as a kid, I just thought that was normal, right? Mm. So my um, both my parents were running businesses as far as back as I can remember. My dad uh, was a family practice physician and he owned three walk-in uh, clinics that uh, didn't take appointment. And so it was sort of this hustle and bustle all day long. And um, he had a really large team because there were three clinics and the whole family was really involved in this family business because um, there was always things to do and there were always supply runs to go on. And as a kid, I grew up behind the scenes of this growing business and it was in the greater Seattle area and these clinics were sort of spread out and, and the team there, I, you know, I watched my dad really 
nurture and uh, build and grow and lead this thriving team of nurses and doctors and front end staff and physician assistants and just this kind of troop, right? This crew that really loved what they did. And they, you know, we had holiday parties at our house. And, um, you know, I, I just grew, grew up around these people that uh, thrived in their, uh, what they did, but also really loved working together. And so from a young age, I saw uh, my dad as a leader in a, in a role um, and also who had built a team that functioned as a family. Mm-hmm. And that was a, you know, and it took me many years to realize that I had been a part of that. Um, but as a kid, that was my normal life. And I pitched in, you know, whether that was with the broom sweeping in the back or putting supplies away or going, you know, to Costco with my mom on supply runs for the, you know, for the clinics. And then my mom also um, ran businesses as well. And, um, and there she had a few different businesses over the years, one of which I remember really fondly. She had a, uh, she was a jeweler and she had a shop and um, was just really high touch. And there were all these really detailed stories and memories that, you know, people would bring in these sort of, you know, really meaningful pieces. And, and uh, she would have these, you know, customers that were really uh, clients that were meaningful to her. And um, it was just, you know, it was on this really memorable street in Seattle that's still um, kind of a, a gold mine for um, boutiques and um, just, uh, you know, kind of quirky, artsy, creative shops. And, um, and it's, you know, I still pass by there now because I still live in Seattle and kind of gives me chills, right? Because I think, you know, I kind of grew up in a neighborhood where there was artists and entrepreneurs and creatives. And I didn't really know that then. But now as an adult, you know, walk, you know, I can walk through there with my, my child and my husband and realize, gosh, I kind of grew up in this, you know, artsy neighborhood, not knowing that my, my parents were creating and, um, on, you know, doing that and creating something out of, you know, nothing and taking risk and um, doing that with children. And, and they set that foundation for us. How did having uh, entrepreneurial parents inform the way that they chose to educate you? Mm. And, you know, <laughs> I often tell people stories um, about my family and they, um, they sort of think, wow, that, you know, that's really interesting. Or people who meet my family now still are <laughs> often, they, you know, there's sort of jokes about my family because um, I think our education was often, um, we got to make the choices. Uh, my sister and I, um, they let us really guide the the decisions. And I'll give you some specific examples where, you know, we, we started in public school. You're just your average, you know, city kids that went to public, the neighborhood public school. And then at a certain point, for example, m- my sister was struggling and she was struggling in school. She was bored. It just, she did not fit in the typical standard, you know, sort of academic system. And she went away to visit a relative in this tiny town in Vermont. Um, and for the summer, she would just went away for like, you know, a week to visit a, a relative. And she went on this trip almost every 
almost every summer she'd go visit some you know cousins and an aunt and and um, this one aunt was a teacher in this school in this tiny town in Vermont it's not even on most maps right in the United States maps it's so small and um, there's I mean this the this little tiny town really has like literally like probably five surrounding towns all go to one school and probably 30 kids per year graduate from it, right? It's that small. And uh, she came back from her summer trip this, this one year and she said to my parents, I want to move to Vermont and go to school and live with this aunt. And my parents literally sat us all down and we sat in a circle. It's kind of what we do. <laughs> we sit in a circle and we talk and, you know, we, we make decisions and we communicate and there's a very high level of trust amongst us. That was, um, that was something that we, you know, talked a lot about and, and they, you know, they asked us, you know, well, why do you want to do this? Or they asked my sister initially, why do you want to do this? Why is this important to you? And, and she wanted to go and she wanted to go alone. She wanted to go. And so my, you know, my parents at first, you know, of course, this is really, really hard for them. This was their oldest daughter. And, you know, they, it was not an easy decision. And it, I was around, I think I was in about sixth grade at the time. And, and they asked me if I wanted to go and I freaked out and said, no, you know, because I was right at that. I was on you know, the cusp of middle school where everything's just strange and bizarre. And, you know, you don't feel like you don't belong, you don't fit in. And, and, um, I was just thinking my only stability was friends and anything that I knew. And, and I thought I just, went into a place of fear, like, oh, I don't know what that is, or I don't know where that is, and I don't want to leave home. And so I said initially no, but I was very close with my sister, and my sister ended up going, and they let her go for a year, and we went and we visited. And after about a year, um, it was so challenging for us as a family to be away from one another, even though we did really consistent visits. And my sister started to just absolutely thrive. I mean, just thrive academically, but she was also an athlete and she was just having the time of her life playing soccer and basketball. And like, just, she was, she was in the musical. She was just doing things that she actually would never do in the city Mm -hmm. and nor have the opportunity to do. And she was exploring, um, you know, things in the arts and things that she just honestly would not have the opportunity to do in a big inner city public school and in a, in a tiny little town, right? Everything changes. And, um, so what happened is towards the end of that year, I, you know, at 11 years old, said to my parents, I want to move to Vermont. And just like that, we all upped and moved wow. and we all moved to Vermont and we ended up falling in love with this tiny town in the middle of nowhere. And we lived there for six years and I graduated high school there. Wow. So I want to ask you a question uh, that I had asked my, my business partner, Brian, about growing up in a small town. What did uh, having such a small town environment teach you about relationships and, and human behavior? Oh, my goodness. <laughs> well, I, you know, the, the small town life, you know, it, it has... I think, you know, I think most people will understand this who've grown up in a small town. You know, like there were the... Um, the positives and, and, and the negatives, right? Because I think instantly, uh, 
what was an interesting experience is uh, for me, uh, I went through culture shock. So I was a, I had grown up as a, you know, and essentially this sort of inner city kid. And then immediately I was dropped into this tiny town and everything from political views to um, ways people were living lifestyles, you know, um, different economic status to um, diversity to, I mean, just you name it, I was exposed to it in a completely different way than I had been in the inner city where all those things are also true in the city, but they're very different in a tiny town in the middle of Vermont. And it was like immediate uh, ed- education from both human behavior, but also uh, my ability to adjust. My parents were seamless in their adjustment, um, but it was also an ability to learn how to build relationships quickly how to establish trust and how to learn to communicate because we were the new people and a lot of new people don't just plop down in the middle of these tiny towns, right? These, a lot of these towns, they've all grown up together and lived together for years upon years. Everybody knows everything about everyone. And so it it was a huge opportunity uh, for us to, to really build relationships. And uh, it was, for me, that was incredible. And, you know, it, it was a huge, like, mind expansion. And uh, it was, it was like, for me as a kid, it was probably the, the best, absolute best thing that could have happened to us at that time. Wow. So you mentioned that uh, you're a parent, if I, if I heard you correctly. And yeah. I'm curious uh, how having the parents that you did has informed the way that you've raised your kids. Oh my goodness! I I could probably talk about an hour, an hour long or an all day long just on that con- that topic. Um, you know, on the topic of trust, which I just started to mention, um, my parent. The two things my parents have done is, uh, gosh, there's not even two. There's a million, but I'd say the top two to three things that they have established. Um, you know, and not just because they were entrepreneurs, but because also of their value system um, is they they really stressed that trust was everything and in in life. Right. But it wasn't just us as a family, but it was in life that trust was fundamentally the most important thing in all relationships. So whether that was between a child and a parent or uh, siblings or our our community or in business, right? Leading a team or as we, you know, enter a new community and we start to form new relationships with our neighbors, um, you know, it didn't matter what the context was. It was learning to build and establish trust and then maintaining that was a was our personal responsibility. And that it wasn't that once you have it, it's just there. It's actually your job to work on it and continue to maintain it. And that, that that's the foundation for every relationship. And uh, for me, you know, being able to now do that with my son, Jackson is, uh, you know, I, I remember the first few moments of, you know, when he was probably, you know, 
just a tiny, tiny baby, you know, before, you, you know, you're, you're just in nonverbal stages and you're seeing your infant um, already learning trust, right? Um, and it's, it's an incredible thing to then realize, okay, now it's up to me to start this conversation, right? As a parent, once we enter the verbal stages um, developmentally and uh, what has already been established in the in nonverbal stages is like really pr- quite profound as a parent. But to know that I already had that, I was equipped with that. Um, I was so grateful to my parents. Um, and then, you know, to build from there, my parents were the um, type of parents who had made decisions um, Pretty much, I you know, they had their own stories, of course, right, um, based on their childhood and how they had been parented and that they were going to do a lot of work around communication and that they were going to raise and build our family based on really open and transparent communication. So it's very uh, common that in our family, no matter the opportunity or the challenge or the conflict, uh, that we sit down and we, we kind of joke that we sit down in a circle and we talk about it. You know, and it's not always a circle, right? But it's, you know, it's like the living room or the dining room table or, you know, sometimes it's a phone call. But we, the bottom line is the communication is open. And if somebody is shutting down, we don't, you know, we don't let that happen. Obviously, we let people process it. But we, you know, we're committed to open dialogue and as a means to uh, get through anything. And we know we can get through anything. It doesn't matter how hard or challenging, even if we disagree and there's conflict, we will, we will get through it. And through that communication, um, you know, that's, I've been able to, you know, already, my child's only six years old, right? And yet there's already been so, uh, so many, you know, opportunities and challenges along the way where I've been able to, you know, pass that on to, to him and, and take a stand for that and demonstrate it every day. I mean, frankly, you know, just even my husband and I being able to, uh, you know, show that and then notice when we're, when we're in, you know, breaking down ourselves and re- recommitting to it because, you know, I mean, right, this is like constant practice, right? Um, and then I think the third thing I would say my parents did for me in that commitment to one another was always being a stand for what you believe in and a stand for possibility. And I had you know, in, in those same conversations where we all, you know, got together and, you know, whether it was an intervention or it was a conversation of possibility, they were visionary in their thinking and they gave us that choice, whether it was about our education or what we were going to do next. I, there are just countless memories of conversations where my, you know, my, my mom and dad would say, okay, well, you know, if, you know, if time or money or education or, or, you know, any, anything just was not an issue, what would you do? Right. And like, there is no limits. Like, what would you do? What do you want to do? And they would take the obstacles off the table and get us into possibility and vision. And, and that was such a gift because they made it Truly, I mean, they, they literally allowed us to strengthen the muscle of, cre- you know, of possibility thinking and um, 
you know, optimism and um, being able to be self-reliant and before I even knew what that meant, right? And uh, I think much later in life, I realized, wow, you know, I really, I have this ability to be self-reliant and I, I you know, kind of can literally reverse engineer that to, you know, my environment and where that came from. And, and now I have that opportunity to do the same mm-hmm. with my own child. Why do you think that uh, this sense of sort of possibility-based thinking is not more prevalent uh, in the way that we educate kids and, and we talk about what's possible? Because I can tell you that's not the, that, that is very different from the messaging that I got. <laughs> yeah, I know. And I hear this all the time. And, uh, you know, I talk with my clients all the time. And um, I, you know, it's so interesting. I talk to parents all the time about this. Um, and one of the things I find you know, and I'll even say, and I, I, I work with tons of high performing leaders. And what's really interesting is I think there's so much messaging, uh, both um, loud messaging and also subliminal messaging that's happening all over in our culture and our society and our world about people not being enough, right? And, it, and whether that be in how you perform or reaching certain metrics of success, how people define, um, you know, what it is to be successful in our world, whether that is equated to, you know, how they define happiness, how they define um, even leadership, right? I mean, that's a whole conversation in itself, right? And so when you break these things down and then people kind of step into parenting roles, whether they want to you know, admit it or not, well, often what's happening is there's this trickle down of control or I want to live vicariously through my children or I'm going to put my, you know, um, my thoughts of what they should be. It's like this world of shoulds, right? Um, whether it should be they need to go get a job because that that's the safe thing to do or they they need to make X amount of money. So then they'll be happy. And a lot of it, you know, doesn't come from bad or ill intention, right? Mm -hmm. But it it does come from a place of this overarching storyline and and frame of what it means to be successful to certain people, right? And, And I think that gets passed down generationally, right? And it takes a lot of work to unpack that and for people to actually to move forward in a clear story and, you know, to say, this is actually what it means for me. This is, you know, this is what success means for me. This is who I want to be as a human being. This is how I want to step forward as a leader. This is what I want to declare that I'm up to in my life and actually recognize that my children are unique, gifted, brilliant individuals and they are not me, right? They are separate from me. And they are whole and they are creative, hmm. right? Like that, like that is such a distinction that most people, they, like they collapse themselves onto their kids. You see it all the time. Yeah. And it's difficult, you know, I mean, even as someone who has awareness around all these things I want to do with my child, it's so, it's, 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 you know, it can be challenging to, to not want things for your kid that are yours, right? Yeah. Like, so it doesn't always come from the, you know, ill intention or, or even a, a lack of awareness, but it, it, there's 
our society and our culture doesn't isn't doing us any favors, right? So it, it it's actually up to us as individuals to to claim the the narrative. Mm-hmm. Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. So, I want to shift gears a little bit and start talking about your career and what has led yeah. you to this point in your career. Um, but I want to frame it in the context of over the course of your career, how have your own definitions of happiness, success and leadership changed and what resulted in those changes? Oh, my goodness. So this is a this is huge for me. I, you know, I definitely um as I said uh, a minute ago, I, you know, learned to be self-reliant and I've been 
very driven and um, kind of that classic definition of uh, the self-starter, right? I, I started my first business at uh, 20 years old, uh, thought that's what everyone did. <laughs> the entrepreneurial parents came out of college and was like ready to go and start my own first business, right? Um, and and so I did. Uh, with When I look back now, I, I, I sort of chuckle at really and in in some ways I was fearless because I had such confidence and faith and trust in myself. Um, and really I had trust and faith in the world around me. And, um, it wasn't until actually I, um, I got into a corporate career that things changed for me and I really started to redefine uh, success and, and, and leadership in my career. And um, I would say you know, I got recruited um, by Lululemon Athletica when they were quite young and um, it, they were only probably about 40 people working there when I got recruited and it was very early. They were predominantly a Canadian company, a couple stores in the U.S. And I got recruited to help expand into the U.S. marketplace. And it was a huge opportunity. And I wasn't even sure that I was going to take it, uh, frankly, because I I was such a entrepreneur-minded person. I thought I'd be self-employed my whole life. And um, and what ended up happening for me is I had this sort of meteoric rise um, inside the company once I joined. And it was, it was fast. It was furious. It was exciting. I was very successful in all of the classic ways. Um, I was sort of that corporate warrior on the airplanes and... Um, you know, building huge businesses, developing hundreds and then thousands of people. I was running the majority of the U.S. at one point. And what ended up happening for me um, is I started to suffer a uh, health crisis. Um, and I started to have grand mal seizure episodes. And I had, with a team of specialists, received a diagnosis of epilepsy. And for me, I had, you know, I had been an athlete. I'd had a really healthy life. You know, I had studied alternative medicine and healing practices. So holistic health had always sort of been a part of who I was, but I never had any major health issues up until this, this point. And uh, so all of a sudden here I was really, you know, kind of at the pinnacle of my career at this point. And I was extremely visible. I um, I had all the things you're supposed to have, right? Um, I had bought my own house single-handedly, essentially. Um, I had this big career. I was on a trajectory for, um, you know, C-suite roles, essentially. Um, I was very extremely praised, recognized, reinforced for my results. Uh, I was really good at getting results. Um, and if you'd interviewed me back then, I would have told you I loved my life, uh, even though, you know, periodically I was, I was uh, in these very severe grand mal seizure episodes and um, they were really, really uh, getting more and more severe as the as the years passed. And you know, it got to the point where my team of specialists were begging me to slow down and stop. And when I had my son, um, I, I had six seizures in one week, uh, about five weeks after he was born. And 
that was really a rock bottom for me because I thought, you know, I just, I can't live this way anymore. And a lot of this is being like, most of the, the health situation was being just sort of swept under the rug. It actually wasn't public. Uh, very, very small group of people on the executive team knew about it, but even my highest direct reports didn't know about it. Um, and it was something that was kind of behind this curtain, right? And for me, it was as if I lived two different lives, right? And I, I was actually feeling like I was starting to live this lie and I I couldn't do it anymore. And I literally was starting to, you know, fall. it felt like I was imploding, right? Um, and they were telling me, you know, you're putting your life on, on the line here. And now I have a newborn that I'm incapable of taking care of and this huge impact in the world that I have been you know, making an out to make, I'm, you know, at this rate, going to be incapable of making if this continues. And, you know, after that happened for me, it was such a wake up call that, you know, it was really about well, how do I, how do I start to make conscious choices and decisions about who I am as a leader and what is success really about? Because, you know, I was, I was plenty intelligent enough to know that there was another way, right? That this made no sense. And in fact, it wasn't about pushing harder or proving that I could do more or getting, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars more or increasing share price or churning out more leaders that year, right? The comps were there. The share price was there. The developed leaders were there. You know, the stores were performing. I mean, we were, at that time, it was like we were unstoppable as a company. And, you know, I knew there had to be another way and it, and it really set me on this path to to figure out what that looked like. And, and it started a massive life uh, transition for me, um, eventually leaving and starting uh, my company now and really transforming my own personal life and lifestyle, um, knowing that one, this diagnosis wasn't going to go away, right? So this is an interesting thing. The more I studied, I, you know, about brain activity and what was, um, what was causing these seizure episodes, I started to understand more about uh, epilepsy as a, as a, um, neurological disorder. And then I started to understand and research, um, you know, our own situation and say, you know, this, you know, beyond just me and beyond my own survival and, and what was happening in sort of the greater landscape of not just women in leadership, but leadership in, in general and, and say, you know what, this is, um, this isn't okay for me. This is out of integrity and, and I'm ready to, take a stand for um, how high-performing leaders can live their life energetically, spiritually, mentally, emotionally, physically, and perform and, you know, live and lead their legacy work in the world, right? And still lead high-performing teams and high-performing companies and ha not have it look like this. Mm -hmm. 
Wow. Okay. So, so many questions still come from this, <laughs> as you might imagine. A uh, couple of things that, you know, I thought I, would, I love this idea of conscious choices about, you know, sort of happiness, success, and leadership. Um, one, I'm curious, you know, how do people figure out what those mean in, you know, their lives? And one of the things that came up for me as I was listening to you say that is that, Sometimes I think that we take sort of what is the the socially agreed upon a definition of success, and then we basically say, okay, now we have another definition of success. We think it's our own, but really it's been given to us by all the people who are on the internet, you know, talking about these amazing lifestyles. And so that that one, I'm just curious what you have to say about that because sometimes I wonder it. It's kind of you know you look at it, you're like, oh, you know, the four hour work week is now the new definition of success. That's the de facto agreement on what success actually looks like, even though you you know that's not socially agreed upon. We just traded it in for another definition of success that somebody else gave us. So I want to hear what you have to say about that. Um, and then also, you know, how do people figure out, you know, one, what is their definition of success, happiness and leadership? Yeah. So for your first question, it's, it's interesting. I, I have quite a strong opinion about this actually. And I, I know that in, you know, in my personal story, I had an extreme and, you know, somewhat dramatic, you know, situation happen for me, right? And I know not everyone's, everyone has their own story, right? But not every situation is as dramatic necessarily. And yet what I, when I kind of just, you know, scan across, you know, whether it's social media or the internet or trends, you know, I think we, we've really exploited, you know, this, this whole thing around happiness and success as a, you know, as a culture and whether it's the thought leader of the day or it's our obsession with following fame and fortune and, you know, even to some extent, personal brands, right? Mm -hmm. Um, And we get sucked into this, oh, we've got to have, you know, X, Y, and Z. And whether that be our life needs to look a certain way or we need to feel certain things or, um, you know, our if our company doesn't operate like this, you know, or it it looks so many different ways, but the messaging, again, like I was saying earlier and in our chat here, it's not doing us any favors, right? And it gets exploited to this degree where it's so loud and we're no longer speaking to what the individual human actually needs to better their lives fundamentally right mm-hmm. to better you know in like what are, and it really should be about their own value system right because every single you know if we were to line up you know 20 people right now and ask them about their top values they're not going to all give us the same answers Right. And yet all that messaging that gets so exploited, you know, in the Internet and the social world and and all all the other messaging, it it's not necessarily even with the best intentions it may be coming from a value based, so to speak, lens. It may not be catered to the individual. Right. So if we just look at it in a blanket way. It, and then we go, oh, I want that or I think I need that. We're not filtering it to our own needs or our own strengths, right? Or there's no, there's no nuance in it. And when we do that, we're making, you know, we're doing a huge disservice to ourselves and to others because in really, you know, when we think about it, you know, leadership is, you know, and I mean, leadership is fundamentally about service, right? So when you layer that on top, 
of success and happiness and, and how, how to, you know, fulfill yourself essentially, right? You know, how to be fulfilled. It's a really interesting dialogue because it's not about, you know, just have, having what she has or he has. It's about one, what do you, what do you need on a human, what are the basic human needs and what do you as a, as a human value and then leadership fundamentally is about service. It's not just about, it's not about fame and fortune and exploiting these things. And so for me, I think, you know, when, when we ground ourselves in actually thinking, you know, if we kind of turn the blinders off and we, we, we stay in our own lane and we, we ignore some of the, it's not that there's, there's zero value to get from thought leaders, right? But if we, if we actually listen to ourselves, there's tremendous value and generosity and, and depth there. And I think that we're somewhat trained to ignore it. And in, in a lot of ways, um, we've turned off access to our own like wealth of knowledge, right? Because we haven't been encouraged to actually ask ourselves, what do I need? Mm-hmm. What makes me happy? Yeah. Wow. Right. And we're instead we're looking to all these books and Amazon and, and social media to tell us, which is, you know, if we just like take a second and look at that, it's, you know, how many books do we need to read to tell us? Like, it's kind of ridiculous, right? Yeah. Well, considering I have like three, four hundred books on my bookshelf. As do I. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sitting in front of they're in front of me, right? Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, I, I want to. Um, do a deeper dive into one other thing that you said, you know, you talked about, you know, being a high performing sort of leader without having it to have this sort of frenetic pace that you had um, going on in your life, which clearly has some very you know significant downsides. And I'm curious, what is it that enables that? What is it that enables high performance without the sort of frenetic, chaotic pace that basically seems to be, you know, really woven into the zeitgeist of our culture. Like you watch a TV show like Billions and you're thinking, I need to be like that in order to make billions. <laughs> like that is your sort of right. default narrative, right? It's yeah. okay, I want to have fuck you money. I need to act like this. Exactly. <laughs> you know? Exactly. So, yeah. Yeah. So, you know, it, it, it's interesting. So in, in our um in our world, we we call this uh, being indestructible. So in our world, meaning soul powered in our, in our business, we call this being indestructible. So indestructible is not about, you know, fame, fortune, you know, having, having the fuck you money or even coming from that, you know, that hustle and grind. It's about being able to have a certain level of strength and effectiveness. It's about moving beyond resilience, not just being able to weather the storm, but, being able to change the climate, which is a different type of resourcefulness. It's a different type of leadership. It's a, it's a different type of strength, right? And in order to do that, you don't just have to, you know, be smart or wise, right? You have to be strong. And in order to get there, you have to know how to rise from challenges and obstacles, right? You have to, or even let's say fast, high pace growth, right? Big opportunities, right? You know, you have to know how to sustain that. You, you also have to be able to resource yourself appropriately, right? 
So knowing what resources you need to stay high performing, whole, functioning at your best, right? And this could be people, this could be, you know, money, financial backing, this could be relationships, right? So we've talked a lot about relationships already. You know, what relationships do you need to be at your highest performing? Because I mean, let's face it, we're, none of us are doing this alone, right? Yeah. And relationships could be your team. They could be your other outside support system, right? Because we also know that mindfulness, wellness, health, right? All of these other areas, uh, spirituality, you know, however you practice that, all these, all these things combined are essential for you to be at your highest level of contribution, right? That, those require relationships right? and people, right? You're not in this alone. You're not gonna, you're not gonna grow, you know, your your empire or your your village or your whatever it is on your own, right? You need a powerful network, and you've got to know how to resource that network and when. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, I'd say the you know, and a big part of um, is how to respond, right? So, you know, we've talked a lot about what's going on in the world, and you've got to have the skill to respond. So, you know, building strength in and not uh, just, you know, wiping yourself off, you have to have the belief in your ability to make the best possible decision at the best possible time. Mm-hmm. And balance, you know, urgency and patience. Yeah. Right. And I'd say the last thing is really about being, you know, being able to restore yourself. You know, there's this whole messaging out there in the world right now about self care. Uh huh. You know, which yes, okay. On a on a fundamental basic level, we all know self care is important, right? But going a step further, to me, high performance is different than just just the self-care here and there that we, we need to remember or practice. It's about intentionally designing your life and your work so that you are in sync, you're in a practice, and you're, you know, you have your, whether it's your, I mean, you could be in a career, in a corporation, a nonprofit, or you could be running a, a company, a business as the founder CEO, and you have completely intentionally designed your life and your business so that you can really truly be at your highest contribution. Mm-hmm. And most people think, oh, if I just go get a, you know, if I just go to the gym a couple days a week, or if I just go get that massage on Friday, that, that's good. I got my self-care check. That, that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about you know, where, you know, yes, do those things, but design your life so that you can be at your highest performing mentally, emotionally, physically. And that requires time and thought and, and for you to really ask yourself some big questions about what do I need to restore myself, you know, and that, you know, like for me, I know that I need thinking time creative time, white space, so that I can do my best work, whether I'm delivering work, whether I'm writing, whether I need to, 
write some curriculum, you know, whether I need to go deliver a retreat, if I'm speaking, you know, I need white space. I can't just up and go do those things and expect myself to be at my highest level. I actually need white space built in every week. So I have one last question about this. Um, what are the tools that you've utilized in your life uh, for navigating sort of the the emotional ups and downs? You know, I, I think I, I really appreciated the, the use the you use the word um, learning how to respond, uh, mm-hmm. which is, is very different to me than reacting, which is you know something yes. I think you learn from a meditation practice. Like I've I've kind of cultivated one that I've been following diligently, and I'm noticing a big difference in my ability to sort of you know like situations that once would have thrown me have not been throwing me in the same way they have before. Yeah, um, absolutely. Well, I'm I'm glad you men- mentioned meditation. For me, meditation is huge. Um, my ability to respond is certainly um, huge. Um, I definitely I use this. Um, do you, Do you know John Kabat-Zinn? I have heard of him. Yes. Yeah. So I heard him speak. I went to a talk of his many years ago when I was really at the height. It was actually my husband. I have to credit my husband here. He literally almost dragged me kicking and screaming to this talk because it was at a time where I was, it was right after uh, I had been through a really, really intense uh, seizure episode. And I was, I was, I was pretty down and I had uh, suffered a, during the episode, I had dislocated a shoulder and it was taking a, it took, I ended up taking a full year to heal. And so I was, I had really chronic pain and it was a tough year. And, um, I was in this space of mentally, of, uh, wanting to kind of ignore all the things I knew I needed to do, you know, like whether that was my yoga practice or, um, my, uh, the, the things that would help reduce stress. Right. And, um, and my, truly my ability to restore and what I was just sharing with you. And my husband was, you know, trying to plant those seeds, like it's time to kind of get back on the wagon, you know? And, um, he took me to this talk that John Kabat-Zinn, uh, gave at the University of Washington. And it literally was a life changer for me. And one of the things it, he, at the time he had just come out with his book called full catastrophe living. And, you know, he's one of the biggest mindfulness, you know, teachers and, you know, practitioners, and he's done tons of, uh, research, um, out in the world. And, um, with, with Harvard, um, but also the, um, uh, UMass uh, School of Medicine, um, and he runs a program um, around reducing stress, um, not just for people who are like in chronic pain, but just high-performing people. Anyone can use it. But he has a specific meditation practice around um, reducing stress and managing stress, and it's something that I've literally used every day since that talk. And that was probably around. I'm trying to think what year it was. I think it was about probably 2000, 2007 or 2008 that we went to that to that talk. So yeah, it definitely um, for me is a it's a huge one. And I um, I'm a huge meditation practitioner and advocate in general, mindfulness advocate. I mean, I think you could be. I think you could be practicing mindfulness and doing the dishes. I don't think it has to look one way. Um, I think it can look a lot of different ways. And uh, for me, that's that's essential an essential part of my day. Mm. Wow. 
Well, uh, this has been really amazing. I mean, you've packed it with a ton of really profound uh, insights and stories. So I want to finish with uh, my last question, which I know you've probably heard me ask. Um, and this is how we finish all of our interviews at The Unmistakable Creative. What do you think it is that makes somebody or something unmistakable? You know, I think there are a few things, <laughs> but I think it's... Um I think it's actually someone's ability to rise. I think it's somebody's ability to rise um, when you have been brought to your knees, when you have face challenge and or, you know, opportunity. I think it's, you know, having that courage and grit to come, you know, come back and be better and stronger and wiser. And I think that's what makes us um, a lot of times be our best and and be more clear and you know i i see leaders every single day be absolutely uh, more profound um more courageous um and 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 really more grounded um and i think that is a quality and a, a piece of character that you that you only get when when you really rise, you know, you really rise through sort of the ashes and you, what, you know, whether they, they are brought on from great, you know, great opportunities or, you know, the hard stuff. And I think that ability, that ability to, to truly rise, um, rise up is, is a gift. Mm. Wow. Well, I, I think that makes it really uh, poetic and fitting into our conversation. Where can people learn more about you and your work? Uh, you can find me at my website, soulpowered.com. And uh, on social media channels, we are at Be Soul Powered. Awesome. And for everybody listening, we will wrap the show with that. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Unmistakable Creative Podcast. While you were listening, were there any moments you found fascinating, inspiring, instructive, maybe even heartwarming? Can you think of anyone, a friend or a family member who would appreciate this moment? If so, take a second and share today's episode with that one person, because good ideas and messages are meant to be shared. Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Have you ever felt a twinge of worry about AI taking over your job or diluting your creativity? Well, what if you could turn that fear into creative fuel? We've just published an amazing new ebook called The Four Keys to Success in an AI World. And this is more than just a guide. It's a deep exploration into the human skills that AI can't touch. The skills that are essential for standing out and thriving, no matter how much technology evolved. We're talking about real differentiators here, like creativity, emotional intelligence, critical thinking, and much more. Inside, you'll find actionable insights and strategies to develop these skills, whether you're a creative person, a business person, or just simply someone who loves personal development. This isn't a story about tech taking over. It's a story of human creativity thriving alongside AI. Picture this AI as your creative co-pilot, not just as a tool, but a collaborator that enhances your unique human skills. The Four Keys ebook will show you exactly how to do that and view AI in a new way that empowers you instead of overshadows you. Transform your creative potential today. Head over to unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys. Use the number four, K-E-Y-S. That's unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys and download your free copy.